You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Now we're in our Bibles in Acts chapter 9, and I won't ask you to stand yet. We'll stand in just a little bit. Um, but as they're dismissed and as we're getting ready for the message, uh, I'm just going to mention that Thanksgiving is this week, in case you forgot. It is this week on Thursday. As a matter of fact, it's on Thursday every year, uh, the third Thursday of the month. And really looking forward to a uh, time that we can spend with family. And uh, one of those holidays where often it gets overlooked in the shadow of Christmas. But if I could just bring back the glory of Thanksgiving, it's a wonderful time of year. And I love, I love Christmas. And I tell you what, the day after Christmas, I will go all out for Christmas. But let's not forget uh, Thanksgiving. I know some of you already, you're already listening to Christmas music, and that is okay. The choir's been singing Christmas music for a couple months now, so it's, it's fine. I understand that. Um, but I do love Thanksgiving uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, I love Thanksgiving because it's a time uh, where we can just think about the goodness of God. And uh, that's why we have that thank list, so we can write down the many blessings uh, that God has given to us. And as the song goes, you count your blessings one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord has done because uh, once you get started, it's amazing how quickly that list fills up. And so I do, I'm thankful for Thanksgiving uh, because of that reason. I'm also thankful for Thanksgiving uh, time because that's when I was born, uh, the week of Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, I was born the day before Thanksgiving. And uh, so my parents had Thanksgiving meal in the hospital in 1992. And uh, then it's also special to me. And by the way, God, God, I know he has a sense of humor at times. And, and uh, he knew that I grew up with the passion for food. And uh, so I, I know he purposely placed me in the week of Thanksgiving just because of that. Uh, but anyway, uh, also, uh, we had a special and uh, a really a blessing, Thanksgiving blessing last year uh, when we had our youngest daughter, Olivia. She was born last year, the day before Thanksgiving, just like I was. And uh, so we brought her home on Thanksgiving Day, and it was uh, incredible. Uh, I don't have time to tell you our story of uh, going to the hospital and all of that, but it is quite the story. I know many of you have heard it. Uh, so anyway, we're very thankful. And of course, uh, another reason for loving Thanksgiving is you have an excuse to overeat, right? You just, just eat and eat and eat, and uh, uh, praise the Lord for that. By the way, as we're thinking about food, and, and this is just a precursor for our message. It has literally nothing to do with our message. Uh, but I, 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 my wife and I have lived here for seven years, and uh, I still have some debate in my mind on what to choose in different aspects of Thanksgiving meal. And so if I could use your help this morning uh, before we get into the Word of God, uh, I just need to settle some things in my own life, and I need your help with that, okay? And uh, we'll take some polls this morning. Um, but uh, here you go. The question is, for Thanksgiving, pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie? Right? So, so let's vote. Let's vote. Who thinks pumpkin pie? Raise your hand. Pumpkin pie. Okay. All right. A good amount of hands. Who thinks, no, sweet potato pie is where it's at. Okay. All right. Good. I, I think, okay. All right. Uh, I, I uh, wrote it down and I circled it from the early service, but I'll put an asterisk behind it there. Uh, that sweet potato pie is the win for that one. All right. Uh, how about this? So now that we've settled that sweet, pota- sweet potato pie is best for most of us, would we rather have sweet potato pie or, I've heard of another one, 
that is really popular, and I've heard already, pecan pie. So we've got to take the vote. If it's between those two, pecan pie or sweet potato pie. Who thinks it's still sweet potato pie? I'm still sticking with that. It is good. All right. Not as many hands. How about pecan pie is where it's at? Okay. Good. Yes. And I, I'm saying it right too, Brother Curry. I know. That was one of the first lessons I, I learned here moving here uh, from Illinois. It was pecan. And uh, I was quickly changed or uh, challenged to change my mind on that one. And uh, so I have, I have adapted to the Southern lifestyle, and now it is pecan pie. You're welcome. All right, here we go. Let's, let's, let's think about this now. Um, obviously, we don't have to decide on what kind of meat for Thanksgiving because it's a given. Uh, mostly, we have turkey, and not because... Uh, some people don't like turkey. They just have it out of tradition. I understand that. Uh, but we have turkey and we have ham and maybe some other uh, meats at Thanksgiving, at that Thanksgiving dinner. But the question is, what is best? Is it better to roast the turkey, like old-fashioned, tried and true, put it in the oven and roast it? Or is it better to deep fry your turkey? Okay. Now, I was reminded of a third way, which we'll take a vote on this too, in, in teen Sunday school class. Uh, Nathan Anderton helped me uh, remember this, but smoking a turkey is also a method. And so I need your help. What is better? Who thinks it's just stick it in the oven? If you do it the right way, it's, it's the best way. Roast it in the oven. Who, who thinks that's the way to go? Take some fresh herbs and some butter, put it under the skin and uh, just let it simmer. Okay, good. Some hands there. Who prefers getting it deep fried? Throw it in the deep fryer. Okay, good. That's about half and half. Who, who prefers a smoked turkey? Okay. Now, I think, and uh, I see a lot of good hands there. Um, if you smoke anything, uh, any kind of, I'm, I'm, let me rephrase that here. We're talking about food. We're talking about food. Meat. If you smoke meat, if you smoke any kind of meat. Um, whoever's taking the ledger of the service today, let's just erase those comments and uh, we'll start over. Uh, don't tell pastor. <laughs> if you smoke any kind of meat, oh, it's, it usually t uh, turns out pretty good. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm getting myself in trouble here. How about this? The last one. The last one. Now, this is where the big controversy is. And uh, I, I have seen some fights break out because of this very controversy. When you have your Thanksgiving meal, do you have your food touch one another or do you keep it separate? Okay. Do you, are you the one that needs to have that, that plate where it looks like a big flower and uh, it has the center uh, section and then all those flower petals around it and you put all your individual uh, sides into those and you don't want it touching? Or are you that one that likes to take a little bit of everything and just take one glorious bite, you know? So anyway, let's take a vote. Who prefers your sides and your, your food mixing, uh, touching? It's okay to touch, okay? All right. Okay, good. Who, who says, no, no way, uh, be ye separate, saith the Lord? And uh, okay, all right, good. Uh, I, think, I think on this one, now it was a little bit half and half in the early service, but I think we might have uh, gone 50-50 there on that. And uh, I'll just put in my vote. Uh, I like to mix a little bit. I, I like a, a little bit of everything in that bite. It's always good. So anyway, let's get, uh, let's get into scripture this morning. Acts chapter 9. Now in Acts chapter 9, if you're familiar with uh, chapter identification, in chapter 9 of Acts, we find the conversion of Paul. 
uh, right? We have Saul. He's headed on his way to uh, Damascus and something wonderful happened. It was a turning point in the Apostle Paul's life. And uh, if you're honest, it's a turning point in your life as well. Uh, we've heard of the, the term before, um, having life-changing experiences. Uh, we could associate that with, hey, you need to go try this food because if you try this food, it will change your life. Maybe you've said that before. I've said that before. Go to Fogo de Chao, Brazilian Steakhouse. Uh, go to Maggiano's in Durham. It'll change your life, okay? Just hands down. And there's other places like In-N-Out in uh, California and all that good stuff. But uh, we talk about food. How about uh, talking about a place? You go to a place and you say, oh, man, you've got to go there. It will change your life. I've been on a trip like that. Uh, My wife and I back in, um, now I'm doing the math and and I I don't know, 2017, I think it was. um, We went January 2017 to Israel. And I could say that was a life-changing experience for us. Uh, brought the Bible alive to me. Not that it wasn't alive before, but just to really uh, see those places that the Bible talks about, it was amazing. One of my favorite memories of going to Israel was uh, there outside of Jerusalem, uh, we have uh, Mount Calvary, Golgotha. And it's amazing to see in that, that cliff face, you can see uh, the, the, the form of a skull. Uh, just as the Bible says, it, it was the place of a skull. And you can see in that, that mountainside there, uh, a skull. And that's where Jesus was crucified. And not too far from that area, just a little bit down the path, was a garden. And uh, in that garden, the garden tomb, and, and uh, my wife and I and the group that we, uh, that we were there with, and I know uh, some others have been to Israel, but we got to really step inside the tomb where Jesus was laid. And uh, that was a life-changing experience. It was amazing. I'll, I'll always remember it, never forget it. And there's some other events, not, maybe not a place, but life-changing events in your life. One of those may be, well, obviously the day that you're born, that was pretty life-changing. Um, but uh, how about the day when you got your driver's license? That was, for me, it's like, man, freedom, liberty, independence, right, teens, whoever has your driver's license. I mean, that was, that was a great day. Uh, how about the day you graduated from high school and college? Man, that was life-changing. Why? Because you, had to, you weren't in school anymore. You had to figure out something to do. And uh, for me, getting married, man, that was life-changing. It was amazing. It changed my life. We have uh, amazing grace I got married to. And uh, God, God saw fit that he gave me a double portion of grace. Uh, saving grace and amazing grace. And uh, so the Lord is good. And then uh, another life-changing experience, as uh, you parents will know, is we had children. And I tell you what, children will change your life. And uh, I know I'm, I'm turning 30 years old, but uh, I, uh, I'm not there yet. But one day, um, and I, I've heard it from, from many, but uh, as a grandparent, that'll change your life. And uh, so all the grandparents said, amen. But uh, I want to get into Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we find a word, not written, but I think is very glaringly obvious in the life of the Apostle Paul. So we're going to get into it, and I know it's been a long introduction. We've had some fun already this morning. But could I ask you, if you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to read some scripture this morning, and then we'll be seated. But in chapter... 9 of the book of Acts, verse number 1, we'll read through uh, verse 22. The Bible says this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, 
whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone, uh, there shined round about him a light from heaven. Verse 4, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and with his, when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Verse 9. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and uh, entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he, Saul, preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we get into this passage of Scripture this morning. Help us to look as we see that uh, there was a great change made in Saul's life. He found you. He got saved. And because of that, there was a result of change in his life. And I pray that this morning as we look at that, I pray that you would speak to our own hearts, that we'd examine our own lives, that we'd ask ourselves, Lord, has this uh, change happened to me? Have I been changed because of my salvation? I pray that you'd help us with this thought this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. From this account, we'll point out four different changes that happened as a result of Saul's salvation, but it also is, should be a result of what Christ can do in our life as well. And so uh, as we get into it, if you're taking notes, number one, I see right off the bat in verse number one that Saul was a changed man. Number one, I see a changed man. Look at verse number one. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Man, Saul was an angry man, wasn't he? Saul was a violent man. Saul was a man that saw to it that he would extinguish the cause of Christ. He hated Jesus. He hated what he stood for. He didn't believe that he was the Messiah. 
Yes, Saul was religious. Yes, Saul was actually a Pharisee, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. But yet Saul was violent. Saul didn't care. He had no mercy. And he threw men and women into prison that claimed to be Christians. Would you turn back one page and look at verse number one of chapter eight? We have a little bit more description of Saul. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting or approving unto his death. That was the death of Stephen. He was stoned to death because Stephen claimed uh, that Jesus was the Son of God. And at that time there was a great persecution led by Saul against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The apostles stayed together, but everybody else scattered. Verse number three, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. This was a bad man. He wanted to do everything that he could in his power, even going all the way to the high priest and getting special permission to now going on, on the road to Damascus to try to put men and women into prison who claim to be Christians, who claim to follow Jesus Christ who claimed that Jesus was the Savior. Now, could I mention, uh, before we get into uh, this point as a changed man, when we find persecution in the Bible, and the same is true today, when the church of God is persecuted, that is when it thrives. When we have the fight that the devil is trying to stop a great work, that's when God steps in and God allows a great work to happen. Say, Brother Nathan, how do you see that? How is that even possible? When, when we're trying to be silenced, when we're put in jail, when we're trying to, to, to stop uh, doing what we're supposed to be doing uh, by others and by governments and by uh, the religious people, how is it possible that God's word is magnified? How is it possible that God can do a great work in the midst of persecution? But the Bible says right after verse 3 uh, that says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He even went into every house and healing men and women, committed them to prison. Verse four, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Isn't that amazing? God uses persecution to scatter Christians in this, in this account to go to different places who haven't heard the gospel. And there they were able to preach the gospel. And it was a result of the persecution. God blesses in the midst of trials. We see a changed man because the Apostle Paul in chapter 9, when he meets Christ and when he accepts Christ as his Savior, we see almost an immediate change. He goes from being that violent man, that man that's zealous to, to extinguish the cause of Christ, to put out the light of the gospel, and now we see an, an amazing change in his life. We're, we see in verse 22, look at uh, chapter 9 and verse 22. The Bible says, but Saul... Increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. Now, he was the one that was supposed to go to Damascus to put people in prison because they were claiming that Jesus was Christ. But here it says, Saul was proving that this is very Christ. What a change! What a change in a life. And you know, Jesus can change your life. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can be a personal testimony of that. Do you remember uh, what you were like before you got saved? Do you remember the things that, that you did before you got saved? And I'm not trying to bring up the past, but hey, we're, there's a change. There's a difference because of what Christ does in a life. When you accept him in, he changes your life from the inside out. 
I'm thankful that not only Saul can experience the changing uh, from inside, but yet we can get a new heart as well. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's an amazing thing that Jesus does the changing. There's a chorus that, uh, uh, that we sing in the hymn book. When the Lord saved me, when the Lord saved me, something wonderful happened. When the Lord saved me, old things passed away, darkness turned to day. Something wonderful happened when the Lord saved me. I'm glad that Jesus changed his life, uh, lives. He changed my life. I remember as a teenager going to youth camp, invited by Caleb Schnur, and we know who Caleb is. And uh, he invited me to, to go with him to his, his church's teen camp, and I had never been to something like that before. And uh, quite frankly, I didn't want to go. I grew up uh, in, in a Methodist church, and uh, uh, I remember as, as my goal, now, this is all under the blood, but uh, I remember uh, as a fifth grader wanting to, it was my goal. My parents made me to go to Sunday school, uh, so my sister and I went, and we were in different Sunday schools. But in my Sunday school class, the fifth grade class, it was my personal goal to get under the teacher's skin. I mean, I was the one that wanted to be the class clown, and I wasn't ashamed of it. I was the one who wanted to interrupt whatever lesson plan the teacher had for that day, and it brought joy to my eyes when she got frustrated. I mean, that was me in fifth grade, okay? Now, I understand uh, that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't very old, so I didn't have an opportunity to do a lot of very bad things, but that was, that was bad, okay? Uh, that's probably not a good thing. So if, if you're in Sunday school, I, we have our fourth grade uh, in here and on up through the teens, uh, please be easy on your teachers and uh, just, just be little angels for them during Sunday school and uh, it'll, it'll make everything better. But uh, we have, uh, I remember when, when I was uh, a teen, I think I was 12 or 13 at the time, I was invited to teen camp and, and I went. The campground was called Camp Joy. And uh, I remember sitting in a service, I believe it was a Wednesday night, uh, August 4th, um, and uh, I remember being in that service, the preacher of the week, which he came and preached many of those weeks of teen camp, but the preacher was uh, Mark Swanson, Pastor Mark Swanson. Y'all remember Mark Swanson? He's preached here a couple times. And uh, Lord willing, we'll have him back for our teen uh, retreat here next year, and it's going to be great. But I remember, if, if you've seen him preach, uh, he, he really hasn't mellowed out in, in uh, the many years uh, uh, since I've been a teenager. He's still crazy. He's a maniac. You know, he loves the Lord, and uh, he's passionate when he's preaching. Um, when I was in those services, he would, uh, I, I would sit on the front row, not because I wanted to, but because Caleb wasn't, he invited me, so I guess I should probably sit with him. And uh, so I remember sitting on that front row, and just, I, I've never really heard, like, good preaching before. And so this guy, he comes out, and he's doing the high kick. I'm not going to do a high kick, because something bad will happen. Uh, but uh, he does these high kicks. And uh, I mean, his, his shoe is like an inch away from your face. And I thought, man, this guy's crazy. He, he could break a nose. I mean, good night. What is he, what is he doing, man? And, and uh, it, it's almost like we were all just captivated by him because of how crazy he was. But he was also very passionate about the gospel. And I remember that night when he got into the message, he preached on the subject of hell. And by the time that message was over, I knew that was not a place I wanted to go. And when he told me the way out, he told me the way, the truth, the life is only through Jesus Christ. And so when invitation time came, I quickly went to that altar and I accepted Christ as my Savior. 
And I can say from that point on, from that very moment, the Lord changed my heart. I no longer had a desire to do the things I used to do. My desire was, hey, immediately, that, that same night, that same invitation, my mind immediately went to, there's family members of mine that, that don't know this. There's family members of mine that, that I, I know aren't saved. And man, when I get home, I want to talk to them. The Lord changed my life. And the Lord can change your life too. If you've not trusted Christ this morning as your Savior, I encourage you, don't put it off. You're here this morning for a reason. Would you accept Him as your Savior? He can change your life. You know what's amazing is that, uh, that Jesus, he, he doesn't change. Jesus is the changeless one. Uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. God's Word doesn't change. Uh, forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. But it's amazing that the one who does not change is the one who changes everything. The one who doesn't change, who remains constant, faithful, he's true to his promises. He's the one that does the changing. He's the one that changes lives. I'm, I think of that song, God's word changes lives. The verse goes, those who know the Savior will gladly testify how God's word brought conviction the hour they met Christ. It may have been a still small voice, but they heard the master's call, learning in that moment when they surrendered all. The chorus goes, God's word changes lives. Its power cannot be denied. The lost find salvation. The foolish become wise. God's word changes lives. The essence of, this, of its message, the truth has never changed. God so loved, he gave his son that sinners could be saved. And whether read or preached or sung, once it has been heard, the authority of scripture will leave no heart unstirred. The bridge goes on to say, so changed of God, that's us, the changed of God. Proclaim his truth till every soul has heard the power of the gospel in God's unchanging word. God's word changes lives. God can change your life as well. And if you're saved, he has changed your life. The, the man Saul experienced an amazing change. In the same chapter, he went from persecuting the church to proclaiming Christ. I mean, how amazing is that? Not only that, but number two, I see, a, a, number one, a changed man. Number two, a changed mission. A changed mission. His mission, we also find in verse number one of chapter nine, that Saul was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Those that followed Christ, he was trying his best to throw them in jail. That was his mission. He believed and he was defending his belief as, as a Pharisee, and he thought these people are, are not following the law, and these people are breaking God's laws, and we must put an end to these individuals before their message spreads. That was his, mes uh, that, that was his mission, but yet he went from murderer to missionary, right? And not just any missionary, but the greatest missionary that we find in the New Testament, aside from Jesus himself. What an amazing work that God did through Apostle Paul. And his mission changed. When Paul got saved, he got a new purpose. When Paul got saved, he got a new position. Right? He was a Pharisee before, and Paul recounts this in Acts 26, of verse 5, when he's giving a personal testimony. He says, uh, They which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul was a religious person. He was a Pharisee. But when he got saved... He went from a Pharisee to a servant of Christ. He had a new passion when the Apostle Paul got saved. And how about this? 
When Paul got saved, he got new partners. Now, we find, I think it's in verse number, uh, oh, uh, verse 7, in the, the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. He wasn't by himself when he was persecuting the church. He had people backing him up. He had some partners for the things uh, going against the cause of Christ. But the Bible says that when Jesus came to him from out of heaven and Paul experienced that wonderful conversion, Paul got saved. The Bible says that these men that were with him, they heard a voice, but, but they didn't see anything. And that was the last we heard about these, these followers of, of Saul. We don't know what happened to them at that point. I, uh, maybe, maybe they followed uh, Paul, but there, there's no, there's no uh, point in Scripture where they say that these people that were with Saul at the time that he saw Jesus out of heaven, they continued with him and they did the same work he did. We don't see that. And so we're just going to safely assume that maybe he got a different set of partners. Maybe he got a different set of friends. I know for certain he got a new best friend. We find that in, uh, in Barnabas. In verse 27 of chapter 9, the Bible says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I love uh, people like Barnabas. Uh, Caleb was my Barnabas when I got saved. Uh, a friend who would encourage me to do the right things. A friend who encouraged me. As a, as, as a new Christian, uh, not really knowing much of the Bible, not knowing much about church, but he helped me. And the Apostle Paul here, he had a man named Barnabas that helped him, that encouraged him, that verified him and validated him for the other apostles and disciples of, of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad when God brings a good Christian friend along your way? Oh, it's an amazing encouragement, and that's what Paul had. Let's look at number three. We see a changed man changed mission, and then a changed motives. Changed motives. What are motives? Motives are your why to your what, right? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? The why is called our motives. Why do we do what we do? Philippians 3, 7 gives the why for the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I think it's pretty clear who Paul lived for. I think it's pretty clear that when Paul got saved, his motives from doing what he wanted to do as a Pharisee and trying to stay, uh, stay really uh, dedicated to that cause, now God has changed his life and now he has a new passion. Now he has new motives and his life that he's living is for Christ. He says, hey, all the things that I've gained in my life, I count it but loss for Christ. Those things that, that would be something that selfishly I would want, Man, I count it as dumb. I, I don't even want it. It's waste. It's filthy because I want to win Christ. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. There was a changed motives in Paul's life. Paul went from religion to relationship. What's the difference? Paul, a Pharisee, 
a, a, a very strict Pharisee, made sure that everybody else followed all the rules. And that is why he did everything in his power to put those that didn't follow the rules into prison. But yet he went from that to being a servant of Christ, to having a relationship with the Savior. You know what the difference is? The difference between religion and relationship, it doesn't matter what religion it is, Buddhist, uh, Mormon, whatever it is, uh, Hinduism, all, all of these things. The difference is between those religions and having a relationship with Jesus Christ is you do a religion because of yourself. Isn't that true? The things that you want to do in Buddhism and all those false religions is you're trying to check every box. You're trying to do all of this so that you can experience whatever it is that you get at the end of your life. It's for selfish reasons. But when you have a relationship with Christ, that whole uh, not knowing where to go and, and making sure you have a destination, uh, that's already been settled by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so our relationship with Jesus Christ is not a selfish one. But yet when we truly find Christ and accept him as our savior, we have a relationship with him. And our motive is not to please ourselves anymore, but the life that we uh, now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the son of God who loved uh, us and gave himself for us. That is why we live. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is no longer I, but Christ that liveth in me. Our motives change. It changed for Paul. He said everything else. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The time that I have now left in my life, I'm going to use it uh, for the glory of God. I'm going to make sure that Jesus is known through me. And that was what the Apostle Paul experienced. The change in was his motives. You know, to the self-righteous crowd of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, Jesus was saving all the wrong people, the publicans, the politicians, the sinners, uh, the murderers, the defiled, the demon-possessed, the blind, the mute, the lame, the maimed. All these people were getting saved, and uh, the self-righteous ones were like, man, why would you waste your time on those people? But yet, Jesus Christ, he was selfless. He gave his life for the world. And so when we find our life in Christ, we too can live a selfless life and live it for him. I'd like to close with this last point, and then we'll wrap it up. Now, this last point really didn't happen to Paul yet, but it is going to happen for all of us one day. The last point is changed in a moment. We find in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, the Apostle Paul writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall, we, uh, shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. One moment, one day, Jesus is going to come and we're going to be changed. I can't wait for that day. As a matter of fact, in God's prophetic timetable, there's nothing preventing that day from, from coming. I mean, it's imminent. Jesus could come back today. Jesus could come back in the next few moments. 
And the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when that trumpet sounds, we shall be changed. I can't wait for that day. But the matter of fact is that you can't be changed in this moment unless you have a moment in your life where you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. And so this morning, I, I beg and I plead with you, those that don't know for sure that heaven's your home, those of you that have never invited Jesus to come into your heart and to save you, would you do it this morning? Because you can't experience the change in your life that Jesus brings until you do that very thing. And as a result of salvation, you can be a changed man. You can have a changed mission. Hey, it's no longer uh, living for self. It's living for Jesus Christ. That's my mission. And our mission is to get the gospel out to everybody, to let everybody, let the world know that Jesus saves. And you, you can experience that change in motives, but you'll never, unless you get saved, experience that changing in a moment. When Jesus comes back and the saved of God shall be changed and receive their glorified bodies, I cannot wait. Could I ask you in closing this morning, have you experienced the change that Jesus can make in your life? Are you saved this morning? If you are saved, are you continually growing and allowing the changeless one to make changes in your life? I'll finish with this passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says in verse 25, husbands love your wives. Amen. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This is the reason why Christ gave himself for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's us, the saved of God the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. Jesus' mission is to present us spotless, holy, acceptable in God's sight. So the question is, as we're closing, are we allowing the word of God? Are we allowing Jesus in our life to make those changes? Is our life becoming less spotted by the world? Are we adhering more to the image of Christ? That's our mission, as well as reaching the lost, is for God to continually, daily, work in our hearts. So has He changed your mission? Has He changed your motives? And are you ready to be changed in a moment? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.